Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is so good to be with you on this fourth Sunday of the new year. We are grateful that you would be with us on this um, beautiful uh, morning. I want you to know that we do not take it for granted that you uh, made a very conscious decision to be here this morning, that you went through a lot of effort uh, to make it through the, the weather and the rain and the gross just stuff that's out there. Uh, this is one of those mornings where I think we all wake up and we wonder, is this the day to do live stream? Is that, is that what we should do? I mean, even I thought about that for a moment, but then I realized that's probably not going <clears> to <throat> work. So we are here and you are here. And I am grateful for that because worship would not be the same without you. So thank you for being with us either in person or online this morning. Uh, today we're in week three of our current sermon series. It's called Rediscovering Jesus. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I mentioned to you the fact that we're calling this Rediscovering Jesus instead of Discovering Jesus because I have a feeling that most people know a lot about Jesus. I, I think most people in the world today have heard about Jesus. They've, they've, they've listened to stories about Jesus. They can tell you facts about Jesus. I think most people know something about this guy named Jesus, but do we really know him? That, that's the question that we've been getting at over the past three weeks, and, and what we've been doing is we've been digging into the Gospel of Mark to ask the question, who is this man, so that together we can rediscover who Jesus is and what it means for us to follow him. So today, I want us to look at a, at a, a story in Mark chapter 1, that tells us a story of some of the first public ministry that Jesus got himself into. It's not the very first, but it's part of the first. Uh, that's the first part of the story. The second part of the story is what Jesus does after he's done with that ministry. So I'm going to start in verse 29. We'll be reading through verse 38. Hear now the word of God. As soon as they left the synagogue... They entered the house of Simon Peter and Andrew uh, with James and John. Now, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her immediately. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up, and then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered outside the door and he cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. But in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, and he went out to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon Peter and his companions, they hunted for him. And when they finally found Jesus, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And so Jesus answered, Let us go into the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came to do. And so he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of God for the people of God. So if there's one thing that I think the Gospel of Mark makes abundantly clear, it's the fact that Jesus was a really, really busy guy. 
Uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed that before, but even in just the first half of the Gospel of Mark, it seems like in every other story, Jesus is being called to do this, or he's being asked to do that, or, or he's being pulled in a thousand different directions. Now, I wouldn't say that this is problematic, per se. I don't get the sense that uh, Jesus was ever stressed out by all of the busyness, or he was ever on the verge of burnout. But I, but I do get the sense that what Mark, Mark wants us to understand is that his schedule was very, very demanding. I think that's especially the case in the Gospel of Mark because one of the things that we mentioned last summer in our series on the four Gospels is the fact that one of Mark's favorite words is the word immediately. He uses that word about 17 different times throughout the Gospel. And so it is that when you're reading the Gospel of Mark, you, you see Jesus immediately doing this and immediately doing that. And anywhere he goes, he goes there immediately. It's to the point where sometimes I'll be reading the Gospel of Mark and I just need to stop and kind of catch breath because Jesus is just always on the go. That Jesus was a very busy individual. The Gospel of Mark leaves no doubt. But he, what he is also extremely clear about is the fact that no matter how busy Jesus got, he always made time to reconnect with God. Didn't matter where he was or what he was doing, doesn't matter where he was going, doesn't matter how many things he had on that day's agenda, Jesus always made his relationship with God his number one priority. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, you can probably point to any number of different passages that kind of illustrate that or underscore that and, and prove that point. But probably my favorite story is the one that we read this morning from Mark chapter 1. Because Mark essentially says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, he went to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Now, on the face of it, one might think, well, that's nice. You know that Mark is kind of giving us a little glimpse into the spiritual life of Jesus. It's nice that, that Mark wants to just kind of give us some kind of insight to what his spiritual practices were and what Jesus did every day. But what I think makes this story Interesting. I think what makes this story powerful is knowing what happened just before it. Because if you go back to verse 29, one of the things that Mark says is that the day before, Jesus was at the house of Simon Peter. And it was there that, that Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. She had a fever, and so Jesus healed her. Well, in some way or another, word must have gotten out. Because before they knew it, the entire city had heard about what Jesus was doing, and they gathered around Simon Peter's door, and all of them were looking to be healed. So this is what Mark says. We, we, we know this. Uh, number one, it had been a long day. We know that it was getting late. And we know that there were throngs of people waiting just outside the door that were waiting for Jesus to come and minister to them. And yet, how many people did Jesus turn away? 
Not a single one. Not a single person got turned down or turned away from being ministered to by Jesus that night. I don't know about you, but to me, that is just wildly impressive for a lot of different reasons. I mean, one of them is simply the fact that I know what it's like to put in a long day. I know what it's like to go to the office and just, you know, from seven to seven or longer, you're just there, you're putting in long hours. I, know, I remember what it's like to be in school and you just have a long day of classes and, and staying up late to write papers. I know what it's like to have to burn the candle at both ends, and my guess is you do too. Which is why if Jesus had decided the next morning to sleep in, if, if he decided to text his disciples and say, um, hey guys, sorry to do this to you last minute, but I think I'm going to take a personal day today. I don't think any of us would have blamed him because Jesus had clearly earned it. But here's what the Gospel of Mark says. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went to a solitary place, and there he prayed. In other words, right when life was at its busiest, is precisely when Jesus knew that it was time for him to break away from it all and to go spend some time with God. Notice that he didn't try to power through like some of us try to do. He didn't say, well, maybe if I could just get a couple more things on my ministry to-do list checked off, then maybe I can squeeze in some some God in me time. Mm Mm-mm. No, Jesus made God his number one priority. Jesus always put God first, and that's because for Jesus, spending time with God was his lifeline. It wasn't like his, his spiritual obligation. Jesus didn't treat it like some kind of religious duty. Well, I guess I got to do this. Uh-uh. This was his lifeline. He depended on this every single day. In other words, Jesus wouldn't dare enter into a day where he hadn't started by talking to God about it first. Whether it's for for perspective or for guidance, for wisdom or direction, just just to talk to God and tell God what's on his heart, or to listen to God, to hear his voice. Jesus always made God his number one priority, no matter what his schedule looked like. Which makes me realize that if Jesus thought that it was an important thing for him to start his day by talking to God, then what makes me think that I should do anything less? I mean, call me crazy, but if Jesus thought it was important enough to do this thing every single day, then then wouldn't I do well to do the same? Wouldn't we do well to do the same? I would imagine that most of us would agree with that. (laughs) I would imagine that most of us would answer that question in the affirmative. Of course it is. Yes, we should do that. But the only problem is we don't. (laughs) So often we know what the issue is. We just don't do anything about it. We're not willing to change. And so instead, what we tend to do is we kind of reach down into our, into our bag of excuses and we come up with all of the many reasons why it's just a little too hard for us to do, you know. 
We, we say things like, well, God, I'm sorry, but you know me, I'm just not a morning person. <laughs> or, or I've just been so tired lately, I don't know what it is, but maybe, maybe when life settles down, I, I can spend more time with you. You know how my schedule's been. It's just I've had a million and one things that I've had on my calendar, so maybe some other time. We come up with all these excuses as to why we can't make God our priority, why we can't spend more time with God. But, but here's the gospel truth. Are you ready? We make time for the things that we value. Did you hear that? We make time for the things that we value. We may not have the time, but we will make the time if that thing is important to us. Brothers and sisters, that's the gospel truth about everything in life. Even when it's hard to hear. In fact, I know that that is actually something that a minister up in Illinois once had to say to one of his, his church members years ago. Uh, it was a church member who apparently was, was kind of going through some, some struggles in his spiritual life. The minister in question, his name was Bill. And uh, Bill said that one Sunday after worship, he was standing up near the front of the church. He said, that morning I had been preaching on uh, the importance of spending time with God, how we need to start our day by spending time with God. And so we get done with the service, and I'm standing up front, I'm talking to all these people. When I see this church member make a beeline down the aisle towards me, and he was not happy. I could just tell by the look on his face that something I had said that morning did not sit right with him, and so I kind of prepared myself. Now, now the church member that was coming towards me, he said he was a good guy. His name is Chris. He was an ad executive in downtown Chicago. Really good guy, had been a member of the church for a number of years, but, but clearly he was not happy. And so he gets to the end of the aisle, and he says, uh, Bill, can I talk to you for a second? Listen, I appreciate that sermon you gave this morning. I appreciate the fact that you think that we need to, you know, spend more time with God in the mornings or whatever. But um, do you know what most of the people in your congregation's days look like? Do you know how busy we are? I mean, I, I don't know about everybody else, but I know that I leave the house every single day at 5.30 a.m. just to make it downtown in time for work. And then by the time I leave, I'm not home till 7, 7.30 some days. And so I know that you ministers have all the time in the world. I don't even know what you do all day. But, <laughs> but it must be nice to have all that time for, for reading your Bible and for prayer. But us regular folks, he said, we just don't have that kind of time. And so Bill said to him, he said, um, he said this, is, this much I know. We make time for the things that we value. And so if your relationship with God is one that you value, then I have a feeling that you will find the time to spend with him. Bill said it was months before I talked to Chris again. But one Sunday after worship, once again, I saw him coming down the aisle towards me. But this time, he said there was something totally different about him. I mean, you could just tell in his countenance that something had changed. And so he comes to the end of the aisle, and it wasn't a long conversation. He just said, hey, Bill, this Friday night, I want you and your wife to come 
and have dinner at my house. I, uh, I want to show you something. He said, okay. And so that's what they did. On Friday night, they went over to Chris's house. They had dinner. After the dinner was over, Chris got up from the table and he said, hey, Bill, follow me. And they went into the living room, and it was there that he showed Bill his brand new rocking chair. And he said, you know, you've been telling us that we need to spend more time with God in the mornings. Bill said, yeah. He said, so I figured that if I'm going to do that, I might as well be comfortable. So I went and I got this chair. And so every day for the past couple of months, I have been waking up and I've been sitting in this chair and I've been spending time with God. Every day I start by looking out over the backyard and I, I talk with God. I open up his word and I, and I let it marinate. And, and I ask the question, how, how can I apply this to my life? I, I sit there and I listen for his voice. And I try to detect his presence in my life. He said, I've been doing this every day for the past couple of months. And Bill said, oh yeah? And how's that going for you? And that's when Chris's wife jumped in and she said, I'll tell you how it's going for him. He's a changed man. She said, ever since he started sitting in that chair, he is a different husband. He's a better father. His faith has never been stronger. And it is all because of that chair. <laughs> a couple years later, Chris came and found Bill again. This time it wasn't after worship. This time it was in his office. And so he knocked on the door. He said, Pastor Bill, can I talk to you? Yeah. So you know, you know that chair? Yeah. I've been sitting in it. Every day I talk to God. Talk to God every single day. And I feel like lately God's been calling me to do something. I can't shake the feeling. I feel like God has been calling me to, to leave my job and to come work at the church. Bill said, Chris, you know we can't afford you. That's not, that's not something that's even in the realm of possibility right now. And he said, I know. But I've been doing pretty well, and I've got some savings, and I've decided that whatever the church can afford, I'll take it. So that's what happened. Chris came on board, and Bill said he ended up being one of the best Staff members that church had ever seen, he helped them grow in ways that nobody else could have. And it's all because he, he answered the call. He said Chris went on to serve that church for some 15 years, just as an amazing staff member, and he loved that church. But one day, Chris came back to Bill's door. Can I talk to you? Sure. You know, I've been in my chair, oh boy. And I've been talking to God again, and God's been calling me to do something different. What's that? He said, I have a friend who's planting a church out in Colorado, and I'm absolutely convinced that God wants me to go there and help him. He said, can they afford to bring you on? He said, probably not, but I can get another job. I can go back into advertising and support my family and I don't know I just don't worry about that kind of thing because I'm convinced that this is what God wants me to do and Bill said then you better do it 
And that's what he did. <laughs> he uprooted his life. They moved out to California. He found a great job, and he helped plant a church that four years later was thriving. Then one morning, many years later, Chris was sitting in his chair again, that same chair that he had moved out to Colorado, that same chair that he had been sitting in for so many mornings. He was sitting in that chair, only this time he was processing a report that he got from his doctor. It was a report that he had been diagnosed with cancer. So a couple weeks later, he ended up in the hospital and the doctor said, you're going to need to stay here for a while. He said, fine, that's, that's fine, but under one condition, my chair comes with me. And after a little bit of negotiation, the doctors finally relented, and they said, fine, you can bring your chair. And he brought his chair. A few weeks after that, Chris died. And Bill flew all the way to Colorado to help with his funeral, and and he said, I remember after the service, we were standing in the, in the sanctuary, and, and he said, that chair was in the middle of the chancel. And so my, my wife, his wife and I, were, we were talking, and I, and I said to him, I pointed to the chair, and I said, there was something about that chair, wasn't there? She said, Bill, that chair changed his life. He said, do you know, do you know what you're going to do with it? Now that he's gone, she said, not exactly, but I do know this. We're going to pass it down to the kids. We're going to pass it down to the grandkids so in the hopes that maybe one day one of them might sit in it in the same way that Chris did, and they will allow God to transform their life. Simple question for you this morning. Where's your chair? Where do you intentionally spend time with God every single day? Where do you read his word? Where, where do you listen for his voice? Where do you become aware of his presence in your life? Where's your chair? Of course, I guess the good news about having an omnipresent God is the fact that... Uh, we don't need to take that literally this morning, you know. The fact that God is everywhere means that our chair can be anywhere and we can spend time with God just about any place we desire. I know I have a good friend of mine, he's a clergy colleague, and he said that every day where I spend time with God is at Starbucks. I go and get my coffee, sit down, spend 30, 35 minutes in prayer, wouldn't miss it for the world. I know I have another friend who says, I cannot stand still when I'm praying, and so I have to be on the move. And so every morning when I get up, I go for a walk in my neighborhood, and that's where I meet God. Sometimes it takes two or three laps around the neighborhood, but I get it done every day. There was one woman in one of my churches years ago who used to say that the, the place where she meets God on a daily basis is at Chick-fil-A. Not a bad place to meet God, if you ask me. But she said, I, I do it every day. I, I wake up, I get the kids ready for school, I drop them off, and then I go and get a chicken biscuit. And I go and I find my booth, and I bring my Bible, and every day I meet God there. 
for as long as it takes. Your chair can be anywhere. So where's your chair? Where do you intentionally carve out time in your life to put God first? For Jesus, it was early in the morning. Mark says that he loved to go off to solitary place where he could unplug from the craziness of life so that he could plug into the power and the presence of God. That was his chair. Where's your chair? It's probably the the most simple question I will ever ask you from this pulpit. But it is also the one question that if you take it seriously, it will change your life. Amen.